Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. When I say the term sex work, what runs through your mind? At some point, I am certain some seedy thoughts crept into your imagination. Words like victimization and trafficking are synonymous with the concept of sex work. The general idea in the public consciousness is that this is an unsafe and dangerous line of work to be in. But why is that? Back in 2012, the Supreme Court of Canada handed down a landmark ruling which struck down many of the laws surrounding prostitution and sex work in Canada, citing that the laws violated sex workers' charter rights as they imposed a greater risk of harm on sex workers. The court at that time gave then the Stephen Harper government time to rewrite the laws to make them compliant with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The result was the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act, a law which at that time was viewed as just rearranging the deck chairs on the issue and did not actively address the issues surrounding safety of sex work in Canada. In 2015, Justin Trudeau, in his first campaign, promised to rescind the law. However, that never happened. And to the state, the law is still on the books and still in effect. Although that may not be for much longer. In a repeat of 2012, last month, sex worker advocates took action and filed a lawsuit in Ontario courts to challenge the constitutionality of the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act. Should they succeed in their challenge, laws surrounding sex work again could be struck down in Canada, forcing the government to once again update its laws. One of the groups involved with the court case is a Hamilton advocacy group, Sex Workers Action Program Hamilton, or SWAP Hamilton. We reached out to their executive director, Yelena Vermillion, to chat about the court case and what they hope to accomplish if they succeed. As well, we discussed with her the issue of sex work and sex workers' rights in general in Canada. We would like to give our listeners a word of caution before beginning the episode, as we do talk about sensitive and mature topics in this episode, and while our language can get rather frank in this one. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Well, uh, we'd like to thank... uh, Yelna uh, Vermillion, did I get your name right? I just want to make sure I, I did pronounce that correctly before you we did. Very wonderful. Impressive. Wonderful. I worked with Yelna once back in the day. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I'd like to thank you uh, from Swap Sex Workers uh, Alliance Project Hamilton. Action, pro- uh, action, action pro- program. project. Uh, action uh, program. Sorry. Action program. My Jeez, that's okay. They're they're like all. It's regardless. It's just like an organization <laughs> for sex workers. You're good. Well. Swap Hamilton, uh, we'll go with that, uh, for coming on to the podcast today because uh, the the landmark repeat uh, court action that you are involved with, along with numerous other uh, sex workers' uh, rights groups uh, across the country, or across the province, I should say, to uh, uh, challenge the criminal code on sex work. Uh, can you just... Give us, uh, give our listeners a, a, kind of an insight maybe into what your argument is that you're, you're presenting to, uh, to the court. For sure. So the, like 
the basis of this case is a human rights case. It's a constitutional challenge, which means that the human rights of um, I'm going to get this wrong. I always I always say it wrong. The Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms. There we go. Canadian. That's what it is. But I sound like an idiot, but I know what I'm referring to. Anyway, so there's multiple sections of it and it applies to all Canadians. Uh, sex workers um, are among that demographic and they should be protected by the Charter. And a lot of these laws um, are arguments claim uh, in the case that is that it's violating their rights. And many of them. Um, so, for example, um, we have multiple laws. There's one, two, three, four, five, almost six sections of the criminal code that all tackle various intersecting parts of the industry. So like section 213 criminalized workers who communicate for the purpose of, you know, selling sexual services in, in public spaces, 28611 criminalizes clients who are going to purchase the services. Um, and then we have like different parts of the criminal code that are uh, criminalizing the the other parts. So we have material benefits. So we have, if someone is like op helping operate in your website and you pay them to do that, that's like a material benefit off the back of your sex work. And so they've criminalized anybody who's like helping you, um, you know, in your business ventures is essentially what that is. Um, and they've criminalized those. And, and the two other sections are 286.31 and 286.4. The one is procuring. So it's the idea that um, if, if a sex worker friend of mine didn't have a credit card and needed to ask me to put up an ad, that would make me a pimp under the criminal law. It would make me a procurer. Um, and like these criminal laws are sort of misinterpreted and like misapplied um, on purpose to you know, to exacerbate the public idea that sex workers are victims in need of of being rescued and that they're um, unable to protect themselves. And then the last section, 26.4, is advertising. So even advertising your own sexual services, um, or sorry, pardon, someone else's sexual services uh, in that same example that I gave you. So there's two parts of, of that. Um, like if my friend asked me to help them put up an ad, there's two parts of that that would be criminalized. The actual putting up of the uh, um someone else's sexual services and also facilitating someone else selling out someone else's sexual services. So there's two parts that become criminalized. It really isolates people who are in the sex industry. It violates their rights um, specifically to the right to life, liberty and security, which is section seven of the charter, uh, the right to equality and non-discrimination, which is section 15 of the charter, the right to freedom of expression, which is 2B and the, and the free, right to freedom of association, most importantly, 2D. Um, right of association specifically is important when we're talking about workers who need to organize and haven't had the opportunity to unionize in a formal fashion under current health um, and safety regulations, occupational health and safety law. So I, I, I just, uh, there's something I want to clarify though. You, my understanding of the criminal code, and you'll probably be more of an expert on this section than I am, the actual exchanging of money for sex is not illegal. Do I have that correct? No, and that's something that the conservative government purposefully spoon fed to the public as lies to confuse us. And so we have to think of the context. So part of the the previous you said this is a re repeat and you are correct in saying that it is a repeat lawsuit. It's a redundant repeat. And the reason why the government got away with um, the current criminal laws is they just changed a few words 
when the current when the 2013 2014 case of Bedford, which is three sex workers bringing um, this the government to court, it was Amy Lebovich, Terry Jean Bedford, and Valerie Scott. Um, all I've met all of them. They're my friends. They're really wonderful idols of mine, and they have um, they brought forth an argument to the government, basically that the laws at that time, which were similar but slightly different to how we how the regime is currently structured. Um, back then, it did aim to, um, how do you say, discourage uh, people entering sex work by by criminalizing, again, all of the other parts of the transaction, the third party, the person selling or purchasing the services, pardon me. But at that time, actual sex workers selling their services wasn't illegal. Like, that wasn't a crime. The difference is that after the Bedford case, um, those provisions, three provisions were struck down, found to be unconstitutional. It basically, what the, um, how do you say, the, the summary of that case was essentially that when sex workers followed the law, it put them into harm's way. And when they didn't follow the law, they were criminalized. And so there's, there's, it was put between a rock and a hard place. And they proved that to the government, the Supreme Court vindicated that those laws were struck down. And then parliament was provided one year to institute new laws or at that time if they didn't institute new laws at that time sex work would have been like de facto or effectively decriminalized um stephen harper's conservative government at the time um and you have to understand contextually he also removed like a very important program for like um in, like in i think it was economic program for single women at that time so he was like this was like a multi kind of attack on marginalized women women people who don't have the same like access to income or like you know you know there is a very gendered thing and um because when we're talking about sex workers we're talking about people who make up the industry and that's predominantly you know yes women and also people who live with disabilities trans and non-binary people people who are racialized indigenous asian black or otherwise racialized we have uh, like a huge um people who are parents you know single mothers like there's a lot of history of people who are just trying to get by and then they're criminalized because of that and it's unfortunate so um the law in bedford was struck down stephen harper was like okay we're gonna bring in a new law and basically all they did was change a few of the words and change the way that the the wording was structured such that it wasn't technically violating but in this, in the spirit of things, they violated the spirit of Supreme Court's decision. They disrespected the Supreme Court, and they were like, "And you know, we we have to think about this. This is monumental. Like, sex workers have been maligned throughout history. We, th I think of Eileen Warnos, and like, yes, she was a murderer uh, and other among other things, but she was uh, tried seven times and convicted seven times. And that's there's no other serial killer that's been convicted seven separate times in seven different jurisdictions. And it was just like." Um, it's just sort of like a way of uh, crucifying sex workers and sort of putting them through the ringer. And we didn't go back on laws on on um, abortion. We didn't go back on laws on homosexuality, or I, should, I didn't mean to say it like that, but, you know, um, in Canada. But we did go back on laws on sex work because we don't respect sex, work, sex workers. So these new laws, the difference between the laws before the Bedford case and after the Bedford case are that the sale of sexual services is now a crime. It is a crime for someone to sell their sexual services, but there is written into the law what the government likes to peddle, the lie that I sort of spoke to earlier about spoon feeding, is there is an immunity for prosecution for one selling their own sexual services. But what the but people don't understand that if you're if your activity is listed 
and captured in the criminal code, you're still a criminal, whether or not the police have the ability or the freedom to arrest you. You know, you could be a drug trafficker who is like immune from arrest because you've made a deal with the province or whatever, the crown. But like that doesn't mean that you're not considered a criminal. You're still going to be surveilled. You're still going to have a file on you with CSIS or the police or whatever. They're still going to like have tabs. You're considered a criminal. Um, The question, well, the question that, you know, the, the, the critics of your argument and uh, I'll play devil's advocate here. The, the, the critics are, are going to say, well, these laws are there to protect, you know, human trafficker, trafficking, child exploitation, um, you know, stuff that I think we can all agree are despicable and, and should be outlawed. And that's what these laws They're are. They're already are outlawed. That's the thing, though. People don't understand mm-hmm. that, like, these laws, sex work laws, removing these laws do not harm people who are human trafficked. And I think uh, speaking about human trafficking, like, I'm... I do have particular expertise. I was actually hired as an expert witness uh, for the defense in the Boudou case, which was a previous constitutional challenge to a particular prov- couple of pr- provisions in the criminal code. Um, and it was basically, I was explaining to the judge why sex workers would hire a third party, because in this particular case, we had a black man who was hired legitimately as by a sex worker as a driver. They entered a romantic relationship and then in that romantic relationship, there was domestic violence. And so, and like they were, they use drugs because like, who doesn't use drugs? And like, you know, whether it's caffeine or sugar, or whatever, marijuana or what, all of it, like who cares? Um, beer, like it's all, they're all drugs. Um, and so the police intervened and she, because she had a large amount of drugs on her, she was basically coerced into testifying against this man who is black. Um, and they sort of, vilified the the sex work in as it intersected with like the domestic violence and they called it human trafficking when really it was just domestic violence in a relationship where sex work was occurring and this is a you know unfortunately that case didn't pan out and um but the point being is that this is how human trafficking is used as this sort of red herring this sort of like moralistic argument of protect the children listen if we want to protect the children we have to realize that a lot of queer youth are kicked out of their homes early and they end up doing sex work because it's not safe for them to interact with social services when they're being put you know if they're looking for education for like actual material change in their life and support that's going to help them keep themselves sheltered keep themselves fed keep themselves sane um we have to think about survival and i'm not you know no one wants to see children sucking dick for money like i'm not this isn't ideal like working isn't ideal i wouldn't get up and go to nine to five if i didn't have to would you i don't know i don't hate myself that much but so there's a context here you know work isn't great but doesn't mean that people should be kept from doing particular kinds of work if it provides them economic liberation um and so a lot of these arguments these moral panics are historically based in um this this so-called humanitarian do-gooder but it's misguided and it's misappropriated and it often does harm so we don't understand that removing the sex work criminal laws actually helps people who are human trafficking victims because even human trafficking victims when they are captured in the law they're often forced to testify it's re-traumatizing they're not even necessarily provided the the agency and what kind of services to quote-unquote rescue them they provide there's a lot of infantilization that happens and um, actually, if you go on my YouTube, there's a perfect comment. I should probably pull it up because I think it's it's a great way. To, someone who had been human trafficked 
um, commented on one of the videos I had did. It was just like the interview on Canada Tonight with Janela Masala. Um, and the the person had said, um, I survived human tra trafficking. Quite frankly, the criminalization of the abuse of my traffickers subjecting me uh, to were done specifically to force me to break the law. Decriminalization forces accountability in cases like mine and many other survivors. So we have to understand that like, often criminal law is not effective in you know reaching its objective and the objective of the particular law that we have now is to abolish prostitution as they call it um it's not meant to protect anybody they believe that sex workers um experiencing like this violence as collateral damage is acceptable they believe that violating sex workers charter rights are acceptable because they believe that we are not worthy of protection or respect or dignity they believe that murders like picked in should be allowed and they believe that the stigma should be reinforced because they believe that no one should ever enter sex work because they themselves as individuals cannot imagine a world where they could suck dick for money well i can't imagine a world where i worked in a sewer so god bless those that do and god bless those that do sex work because not everybody has this particular skills so um you know i think that uh um, ultimately the arguments that the crown you know the attorney general of canada is making is that sex work is like sex work is bad and we will want to do it and we wouldn't want our daughters and it's it's ultimately just a moral anti-sex puritanical argument that's been rehashed and recycled and you know just sort of repackaged and put under the guise of human trafficking to make people you know it's 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 um it's an obfuscation it's a it's a it's a purposeful confusion and it's a purposeful um scapegoat um to stop people from realizing that it doesn't matter if you should respect sex work or the work itself or if you would do it yourself it's about human rights so i mean it, it's a it's a you know it's a, it's a long held cliche that, that that sex work is has been around for a long time you know the, that that the old uh phrase of the oldest profession and all those things um and, and it seems it always seems to me that you know if 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 over the last of the course of human history, no society has ever stopped people selling sex for money. Uh, then, really, passing laws is a waste of time. And, and the 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 thing that matters here is that the that the that the people who engage in sex work are safe and protected. And right now, that's the exact opposite of what seems to take place. That the criminalization it may discourage some people from going into that line of work. Uh, but who knows if it does or not, frankly, I, I would imagine. Um, uh, but what it guarantees, and I was seeing this on your website, you know, the, the implications that arise from criminalization are, for instance, uh, someone being arrested by the police and being found to have uh, condoms on them. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a sign that you're, that you're working as a sex worker. So, so, you know, safe sex can be evidence of prostitution or, or sex work. Exactly. So, so maybe you could talk talk a bit more about that about um you know why why the system as we have it just doesn't work. Well, ultimately, I think it you know I think broadly it relates a lot to like safe supply and it relates I think you know we look at the current uh, labor strike in the whole province like an injury to one is an injury to all. So if any woman could be criminalized for carrying a condom and be called a prostitute and that the prostitution is like illegal and it's a criminal act and like you wouldn't want to be a bad girl, would you? It's it's all of you to control women and their bodies and what they do. And I mean, not only women do sex work, and I obviously I validate that. 
but nonetheless, they are predominantly the, you know, the majority of the industry. And I, I think that it's just a way to stop people from engaging in, in things that they want to engage in because there's so many, like, I don't know, like they couldn't see themselves doing it themselves. So they have to stop other people from, in, from living their life. And it's just like this weird. And certainly the, 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 the narrative that certainly I grew up with was that, you know, nobody chooses to do this. You're everybody is forced into it in one way or another. I mean, do you, would you be willing to sort of speak about that for a few minutes about why someone might choose to, uh, to be a sex worker? Well, I mean, for me personally, like I grew up, watching like i i'm of english descent like well british there's parts of the isles from my mom's side but anyways mostly english um and and i grew up watching not grew up but as a younger person i watched what's it um secret diver call girl with billy piper and i you know i grew up with like different media representations of sex workers that weren't necessarily terrible um and for me personally like i was always curious i always thought of sex work with curiosity long before i did it um and like, I didn't have sex till I was 18 um, by choice. And obviously I just, I don't know. I've, I've always been, I've always had a healthy approach to sex, sexuality. And so I think that that's like really positively informed my work. Um, but I started sex work because I was homeless and I needed some quick cash to get an apartment by myself because I had just had like a domestic situation and I needed to figure out my, my new home, my housing situation. It was unstable. And um, the, the reasons why I started doing sex work, uh, th- like those choices or those reasons, like they evolved. And the reasons why I do sex work now are a little bit different because like it provides stability. And like, I live with disabilities. Like I'm on, I have the disability tax credit. Like I live with permanent disabilities and, um, and they're mostly mental and emotional because I've, I grew up and like, yeah, like, sure, we'll get into the trope of I was abused as a child and whatever that means to people. And like, they can think of me as a brain damaged stupid hooker or whatever they want to think about me but like that's fine i'm like we have ultimately like we're trying to have our rights vindicated in the law because it doesn't matter what people think about us we should be have the freedom to behave and to do what we want as long as we're engaging in things that are consensual and i think that like you know whether you like it's like it's like the whole disgust with like homosexual sex it's just like the same thing it's the same like pushback like oh no sex for money and like this whole idea of we're gonna steal your husbands or like like nobody uh, it's just, yeah it's it was, it was something you just mentioned there about the con- the consensual aspect of it and i think you no know, it, it's not the problem that people are when it comes down to it ultimately you know you you'll tell you'll you'll know this better than i i would is it is it still predominantly like a consensual act between two? Is adults? work a consensual act? It, yeah, like when it comes down to it, sex workers are engaging in a consensual act between consenting adults. It's just you throw in money there or a camera. Well, camera is legal. It's camera's pornography, and you can put it on the internet. Apparently, so yeah. I mean that that I mean if you really want to get down to it, just put turn your apartments into a film studio put a camera people in it, are it, fucking for less than three hundred dollars people are fucking for a mcdonald's <laughs> meal you know what i mean like it, people are fucking well, you tell for me a, I, 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 I mean i i'm telling you that that exchanges for sex happen all the time they're normal mm-hmm. the fact that we criminalize a particular kind of exchange is is meant to disenfranchise those that are mostly marginalized in the industry from uh, accessing their own economic liberation 
And I did mention that the whole Stephen Harper removed the tax credit for, I think it was, I forget, it was mothers or whatever at the time. I, I did write a speech about it a while ago for the vigil for the woman. And I mentioned it uh, at the vigil for the woman that we held um, on Barton Street a few months ago, but I forget. It's off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, like it, it's ultimately a way to disenfranchise people from accessing economic liberation. And it's, and it's you, these moral arguments are used as like a way to justify it. So uh, uh, my understanding is that um, the most sex workers and sex work organizations aren't asking for legalization and actually don't prefer right. legalization. Is that correct? It's decriminalization that, that would be the preferred correct. route. Is that correct? Can you explain yeah. so, why that is? So legalization would be like, so first of all, decriminalization, I, I'll start with decriminalization. Decriminalization is just the removal of, of all criminal penalties and things that that um, and other related laws that impact sex workers or that are used to police sex workers. So, for example, we have the Criminal Code of Canada and the provisions that we're challenging in this case, but we also have uh, the immigrant, I think it's IRPR, Immigration and Refugee Protection Regulations. There's parts of that, for example, where if if you are not a citizen or a permanent resident in Canada, you have a work permit likely, and that work permit, every work permit, in red ink on it, it says that it's not to be used in the sex industry and any migrant worker in Canada or, and most migrant workers in most uh, legal regimes around the world. If you do sex work as a person who does not have status as a PR or a citizen, you can be deported. And I often like this. The reason why it's really important to understand sex work as a labor issue and how it's 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 disenfranchising workers at the end of the day is that we have international students paying three times the tuition and then we also stop them from working in to get a wage that could pay off that tuition. It's, and it's not just migrant workers that are disenfranchised, you know, it's, 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 it's workers in general. Like we, we, uh, working class people are, are oppressed. This is a terrible time. So um, we're fighting back and that's uh, all we can really do because we've been asking for, there was supposed to be a five-year review of the criminal law, PCPA, Bill C-36, what we currently have uh, when it came out, but it, it took them seven years. And they only started doing it once we filed the lawsuit. So it's, yeah, but, it's a joke. What, what would the difference between a decriminalized industry and a fully legalized one, what, what, what is that distinction to you? Thank you. I have ADHD, so thanks for bringing me back into focus. <laughs> me too. Um, it's, <laughs> sorry, it's not just for it's not just what I think. I I can definitely parse it out for you. I just definitely went off on, t- on a tangent. It's the morning. Um, <laughs> I had my latte. Hopefully, it kicks in soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll okay, same. so decriminalization is removing of criminal penalties and like the other parts of laws that are used to police sex workers in a legalized ref- um, framework. You'd have, unfortunately, the government is pimp because you'd have what would you'd have like some arbitrary regulations. You might have suggestion of mandatory testing, which absolutely not. Like if sex workers, generally speaking, institute better health and, uh, you know, personal hygiene uh, practices and are, are more diligent in, in protecting themselves sexually than your average Tinder date. So we, we have to look at um, human rights here. And if we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't want, unless everybody who's having sex is getting tested mandatorily, we wouldn't want, you know, sex workers. We wouldn't want a database of sex workers. We wouldn't want to have licenses or paying fees because it would create a tier of sex workers who you'd have people who could afford to pay the licensing fees. that could afford to do, um, you know, whatever the government arbitrarily requires or the province requires to be a legal sex worker. And then you'd have those that can't, and then they would be illegal. And then you'd have the same system in like, 
we look at Saint Nazier France when um in the seventies when the sex workers occupied the church, they had so many single mothers who were being fined for for doing sex work, and they were like, how do you expect to pay those fines? They were exorbitant. And so the police were just pimping these women. And that's what would happen in a legalized regime is that you'd have like exploitation of sex workers and you, they'd be like, it's just like what you see, like with the, with the pot shops, like everyone's going hog wild. I'm not saying you'd have a brothel on every corner for, or like you'd have 30 fucking pot shops or like, you know, head shops, head shops, quote unquote in, (laughs) in, uh, yeah, I (laughs) know in, um, in Hamilton, but like, but you'd it would be taken advantage of. And so on a decriminalized regime, you have people who could operate under the means of their own production. They would have no sort of like enforcement of police because sex workers know that criminalization and police are a source of harm in their lives. And we've been saying this for decades. Um, Legalization would just perpetuate a system of infantilization and often would re-traumatize and re-victimize sex workers by putting them in databases. And you would have people who would exploit those databases who would, un, you know, unlawfully right. access them for that information. And I guess, sorry, it just occurred to me you know, the, the distinction between, de- like no one decriminalized what I do for a living, you know, like working on a computer. That was never, no one ever legalized that. Sorry, a better way to put it. It was never Ill- illegal in the first place. But it was place, never so. made criminal either. Yeah. So that's what you're just wanting to be put on the same footing as every other profession. Exactly. Where it's not, mentioned in the law because why would it be okay yeah that's just um probably sunk into my head right this second when you talk to new zealand police and i mean i'm happy to provide like like i do trainings on this so i have a lot of video content and there's one particular like interview with a new zealand police officer where he's like we wouldn't police plumbers because the acts that they do are lawful like there's no you know we and people don't understand there's like there's no possibility for a positive relationship with police and sex workers and sex workers have a lot of information they know shit they know all of you know they know all of like the the important well, men's details and all of these things well what strikes what strikes me about what you're talking about and i, I i'll be honest i was i was more in the line the lines of the legalization point of view but you you gave me something to think about there um but you know if you think about like the i'm i think it comes down to um you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like the the the, the straight laced portion of society that that thinks of sex work as this dirty, sinful part of society. You know that you know child exploitation, trafficking, all that bad stuff that happens. But what you're talking about is if you reform it, so you decriminalize it, sex workers yourselves can organize. I mean, clearly you are you already are organized with uh, uh, across the country. But if you organize into say your own unions, um, they're able to protect yourselves. You can also weed out uh, the 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 traffickers. The, the you know it, it's easier to to market and and legitimize yourselves so that you're able to weed out you know where where are the the actual bad people uh, doing the bad stuff. Yeah, and I think you know ultimately it's this like it's this leering inner police officer that we have to like blame for this like sort of mindset that has us continually being like, where's the bad guy? Where's the bad guy? Like the bad guy is in all of us. Like we have to understand. And it's not people who do sex work. That is the problem. It's that we find a we a reason to like vilify people who are just trying to get by. Um, and yeah, I think that again, underscoring, 
when you remove criminal law about sex work that that speaks about sex work, you do not remove laws of general application that currently exist for kidnapping or sexual assault for assault for all of these other things that could occur, which uh, are kidnapping, et cetera, which occur in the provision of human trafficking, whether that's for sexual labor or whether that's for general labor, um, you know, because often, we, you know, the obfuscation of, of trafficking, people don't often consider that the majority of trafficking that occurs in Canada is labor exploitation, not sexual exploitation. Right, 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 right. And there's also a lot more domestic violence in the home than there is human trafficking um, full stop. But we have millions and millions of dollars that have been misappropriately, in my opinion, allocated towards quote unquote human trafficking programs that, in my opinion, just siphon funds away from social services for the general public in the guise of, of helping police and help helping these these trafficked women and there's a racialized component to that as well because often these women are are thought of in our in the general consciousness as asian women and it's this whole infantilization of these poor asian women are going to have to suck dick and do rub and tugs and it's like what if they want to do that what if they're comfortable doing that you know and it's there's also um there's like an underlying element of like gentrification because often uh, massage parlors which are potentially owned and and commonly owned by people of asian descent it's about removing their ownership of property and 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 like their um you know part of the stigma's uh strategy is to remove sex workers from the community to remove people standing in the community as a member of the community because if you're not seen as a human being how could you be allowed to own property and operate a business so it's like all of these yeah it's insidious the whole sort of i mean i don't remember 20 30 years ago anybody using the word trafficking because at that time people were more frank about well we just don't like uh people paying for sex for money it's morally wrong end of story exactly whereas i guess now people are much more reluctant to say that so it's like okay so how do we, how do we get them <laughs> uh so so the the whole sort of rise, rise of trafficking as a seems to me to be a, a surrogate for go for trying to stop sex work right i mean that that seems to be the association anyway that i that i pick up that that you know um tra- trafficking in 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 humans uh obviously is illegal always has been always will be but i mean if if sex work wasn't criminalized a lot of the reasons for trafficking would 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 be taken away wouldn't they because it's the illegality that forces people into these avenues exactly and also we have to understand that you know the criminal law also isolates sex workers so it's actually providing them opportunity and it fosters situations where exploitation and violence can occur it's if sex workers are out in the open or if they have their own you know like if they had their own building in the city where like there was a brothel and it was like protected and like that would be wonderful and like public health services like one thing I like to tell people is that I want to live in a world where Swap Hamilton doesn't need to exist because we should be able as sex workers to access any fucking service that the public could could access because we're we're parts of the community too. I live I'm a human being and I live in this community and just cuz I, you know, do sex work for a decade or however long you've been doing it, it doesn't matter and what form it doesn't matter. I just you know, actually have an, a question. It's just a slightly tangential question but but yeah, it, yeah. it so uh so routine tests for for um you know uh basically you know a routine test for for hiv yeah. uh, sexually transmitted diseases whatever 
obviously I'd imagine those are those are things that that you want to access now and I thought in my innocence that those were things that we could all access fairly easily you just go to a GP or whatever and I guess we can but what's your experience of actually accessing that kind of service because it's a great question I think that's a really good segue yeah so I mean ultimately so my goal in answering this question is to basically illuminate that when you decriminalize, you also reduce stigma, which is also like a holistic positive impact on people in the sex industry. Because if you, because re- when people access sexual, you know, if they're getting um, STBBI testing, sexually transmitted infection, bloodborne infection, um, you know, they could have a nurse and part of normal screening is to be asked to how many people have you had sex with in the last however many days. And if my answer is legitimately 32 and I have no, I have no shame about that, or it's not going to be 32. Like I, you know, that's just like feeding into the, I make 300 an hour and I'm working every hour of the day, clearly. No. Um, but you know, if that answer is a high, higher than average number and that nurse or that medical professional has like, um, a micro reaction or even like a very obvious reaction of disgust or shame or judgment or whatever it might be like that discourages people accessing healthcare. And like, really that does impact and harm the public health and the public good. And so ultimately decriminalization is a public health issue. It's a human rights issue. Uh, you know, the, we, we can't be criminalizing people um, and then impacting their public health. And there are, there's lots of data like Swap Hamilton. Uh, I've done consultation with Transpulse Canada you can look at specifically the data about trans and non-binary sex workers and, and their expectations about access to justice. Um, more than half, I think, I forget that it was 50 something percent of trans and non-binary sex workers have unmet healthcare needs um, in Canada. Like it, there's a lot of intersecting, um, you know, situations where the criminal law just compounds harm where there's already people struggling in it. It's, it's unfortunate. I guess, I guess that's what it comes down to in this matter is like, criminal like it's 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 I, i've always found this weird like we criminalize sex yet yes you know like it's it's not an an abnormal act like it, it's like it, sex itself is not a har- is not a between consenting adults yeah it's not a harmful act um yet we seem to have this attitude of well we need to criminalize this we need we need to punish people for essentially wanting to introduce a financial or some kind of ex- extra exchange uh because not and it, you're right it's not necessarily just financial it could be you know um sex for a favor you know that you could have a you could there's lots of bad reasons why people well, have sex there's a lot of reasons why people have sex not people all of them are, are good for, like security people are fucking for i love you's people are fucking for chicken nuggets like there's, who cares there's, there's a, like there's a whole range it's a whole spectrum people of, are fucking for drugs and that sounds like a fun time but anyways <laughs> <laughs> but like it, it's just a, a hypocrisy on yes. society just to look at say well you can have sex for these reasons but this one reason I, I, you know, that I, I, I just, I, I myself have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea of, well, just cause you exchange money mm-hmm. or add money into the equation, it's now a, bad you know, it, it, it's a bad thing. I'm like, what, why? Like if, if it's done between consenting adults, I'm all, I'm always on the line. Like, Jesus didn't get a cut. Okay. That's why it's bad. Well, maybe. I mean, it, it, it's. I mean, it, this is exactly the point, though, isn't it? That we used to, you know, we used to 
our laws used to have a lot of religion in them. They used to have a lot of moral judgments yeah. in them. And as time has gone on, we have less and less than that because because it, well, we can't do it in a multicultural society. You've got, you know what Christians think doesn't tally with what other people think, and so this is really almost the last bastion of that kind of the law acting as a moral guardian of our well-being. You know, in, in very inverted commas here, um, and it, it makes no sense when we you know we don't have blasphemy laws anymore. We don't have all kinds of other crazy stuff that we used to have um but for whatever reason people are very i mean i, I guess you know you know the, the current federal government um promised all kinds of things when, when it came in um it you know it did legalize uh uh cannabis uh-huh. or t- i guess decriminalize i don't know how they yeah, just decriminalize it well he legalized it okay, okay. because okay. it's because it's Oh, obviously so criminal to smoke and drive but like they which is that's its own thing but um it's a whole different topic but the you know it is legalized because they have to ask for licenses to right. open up businesses related to it etc cetera, etc cetera. it's still it's still regulated as like a um, what what's your what's your opinion then on the fact that you know justin trudeau got elected on being a feminist prime minister and he he's a piece going- of shit I think that okay. I think that that's a farce. And I'm, I'm not I'm not like I'm not a fascist and I'm not like a right winger. Mm-hmm. Like I can criticize our prime minister. I almost said president. I used to live in I mean I lived in America for six months and it just stuck with me. I feel bad. But anyways, <laughs> our prime minister um, about you know his actions and I think that you know his optics are like ugh, beyond and like beyond him being someone who uses like feminism as as like a thing uh, as part of his image he his party itself the liberal party as well as the ndp as well as the green party all have resolved um for decriminalization but they have had taken no action on it and when, when we talk about the federal case that we're in this challenge it's not necessary the government could change it right now they don't have to allow us to spend all of this money in labor and legal fees to to fight for our rights to prove that these laws for the second time because we are we already did this we already went through this process 2013 2013 2014 i say we collectively as sex workers mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. not like individuals and like you know this case in particular if you look at the actual people involved it's it's the canadian alliance for sex work law reform which is 25 uh, sorry 26 groups across canada um organizations that provide service to sex workers including swap hamilton swan waterloo maggie's toronto etc etc stella montreal and six individual applicants, so six sex workers, um, or sorry, five sex workers, including one former uh, escort agency owner. So, you know, it's 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 broad. And we also have this is the first case where it's tackling all parts of the interdependent criminal law. Um, yeah, I think it's I think I'm losing my train of thought at this particular. Well, moment. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say we're coming up on our on our time limit. Um, sure. So. But I, I think we'll be definitely following up on this topic only because, um, th- th- I mean, sex work isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, and, and I think it'd be really good to yeah do another episode before long, yeah. specifically about um, the experience in Hamilton, actually, which we haven't gotten to today. And yeah. uh, that in itself, I think, would be a really interesting uh, episode to talk about. Um, so I'm um, actually trying yeah. to film a documentary about uh, sort of like... Well, if when you have it, if you have that, when you finish the documentary, um, let us know. We'd probably like to to see it and uh, probably have you on to uh, to talk about it more in detail. 
cool. But it might be a long gestation, but I appreciate very we're, much. We're here. We're here for the long haul. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but I, I do want to say thank you for for coming on to the onto the podcast today, and we hope that uh, you 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 know you stay safe out there and you're you keep well. Likewise, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate your time. Sorry that we had to play tag a little bit, but I'm glad we made it. Yeah, thank you very much. So much. Have a great day. that's it for this episode of the 905er thank you for listening as always you can send us your feedback thoughts and concerns or ideas for future episodes to our email info at 905er.ca we'd love to hear from you you can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through patreon as well as paypal Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.